Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hey folks, welcome back. This is your host, Mark Devine, with the Unbeatable Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Hoo-yah. Today I want to talk about the changing face of leadership, the evolution of leadership and how it intersects with the military and our veteran population. So hang in there with me. This is going to be very interesting and, and uh, valuable. So many people may be aware of this, but they haven't thought about this directly. But much of leadership theory came out of the military in the 50s. So the military had a lot of experience, especially coming out of World War II, in organizing the efforts of large groups of people to accomplish a mission. It makes sense, right? And so when business was organizing to ramp up productivity at a grand scale, actually this started before World War II, started back around World War I and afterward with uh, Frederick Taylor and Henry Ford ramping up production for their automobile companies. And then it continued throughout the 50s and 60s as what, you know, what we call the industrial age flourish. And so in the industrial age, leadership and management were, were largely considered the same thing. Leadership became effective management and management science became how you organize for effective production of labor or organize labor for production, effective production of goods. And so it was largely about doing the right things in the right manner and doing them efficiently and effectively. And there was this belief that even though it was complicated to do so, that leadership and management were largely a cause and effect linear function. If you did these certain things and you did them more and more efficiently, then you would get better and better results. And so we got things like total quality leadership, management by walking around, and this differentiation between leadership as a position and management as a process. Well, that worked for a while, but just like everything in life, external world changes, and then it precipitates changes in our thinking and the way we organize our mental models and, you know, what was working stops working and we have to figure out something new. So the internet came along the internet connected the world and allowed for disintermediation and some decentralization, even though that swung full pendulum back the other direction. But in the early days, it was true. And so we went from the age of the industry industrial age into the age of information being the dominant feature. And so we needed to organize the world's information. That's what Google took on. And we need to learn how to mobilize labor, not for just production, but for innovation and to harness the data of this information. And so this idea of leaders who do things right shifted to this idea that leaders are the ones who do the right thing while they're doing things right. So they needed to have both sides of the equation. And we saw what happened in the information age when leaders didn't do the right thing? We saw notorious disasters, you know, like, for instance, British Petroleum's Deepwater Horizon spill in the Gulf of Mexico. CEO of British Petroleum, Hazleton, didn't even come to the scene. And when he did, he was cavalier about it. And it took several weeks for British Petroleum to finally fire him. Don't fact check me on this, by the way, because I don't have the dates or anything right. But I remember this very clearly and thinking, wow, that is a leader 
that probably did a lot of things right, but he didn't do the right thing in this case. And then we had Enron and we had all the, you know, the Wall Street fallout that, you know, with Drexel and, and then with um, Lehman Brothers. And it's unbelievable. So the age of information, which required that leaders do the right thing, caused people to say, okay, we need to add a moral equivalent to our leadership. We need to learn how to really empower and uh, bring employees and staff and stakeholders into the conversation. And so out of this came ideas such as transformational leadership, George McGregor Burns, servant leadership, emotionally intelligent leadership from Greenleaf and others. And so then these became kind of the norm, right? And so you have great examples like Southwest Airlines and Herb Kelleher deploying servant leadership, where everybody who was a leader in the organization was in it to serve the customers and serve the employees and whatnot. And it worked really well. Now, no, in this age, in the early age and up until recently, probably up until 2010, 2011, when this model really uh, was still working, was the main model for leadership, things were still relatively sanguine when it comes to, compared to, I should say, how things are today with the volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. It existed kind of largely under the covers. We saw a real kind of canary in the coal mine incident with the 2008 crash that said, okay, this, we're entering a new normal, but pretty much everyone just thought, well, we'll just get through this and things will go back which is usually what happens in a crisis like that, will go back to the old way, and it never did. And so we entered the information age without people even realizing it into what's now being called the conceptual age. So the conceptual age is the age where things are too, moving too fast. We have exponential technologies causing exponential change in the business world. Business cycles that used to take 20 or 30 years to play out are being played out in two to three years now. It's insane. And it's accelerating. Moore's law. The time of doubling the speed is having. <laughs> I don't know exactly how to say that law, but it's incredible. And all these confluence of, of the technologies are, are starting to converge and come together. Artificial intelligence, 3D printing, the internet of things, 5G, wireless, virtual reality, augmented reality, metaverse. Just think about that. It's, it's insane. And robotics, of course. So it's impossible for leaders to keep up themselves with the pace of this change. And what worked in the information age is stopped working now. And everyone's stuck. We see this in our unbeatable program when we train corporations and leaders. They're like, okay, wow, we really spent a lot of time developing the skills for the information age. We're servant leaders. We're transformational leaders. We got all this down, but it's not working. So what is it about this new conceptual age, about leadership, that's going to be the next thing? So what I say about that is, the main skills that are going to be absolutely necessary in the age of conception is creativity, a radical team focus, radical team focus where the team becomes the leader instead of the individual leader. So the individual leader can, can be in charge. They'll take the hit if things go bad and they earn the big bucks for that. But their job is to unlock the mindset, the exponential mindset of the team, not to think that they've got all the ideas then teams need to develop a team focus where they become a team of teams, which is a term coined by a military peer, General Stanley McChrystal. And he had early examples of how this would work when he organized the efforts of special ops forces in Afghanistan, when he realized that the information age had passed them by and the networks of empowered teams of the enemy were stomping his special ops troops, which were operating from 
information age stovepiped bureaucratic mental models and structural models. So he had to break all those down and create what we call team of teams, where teams of empowered individuals who really were very clear about the vision and mission and the boundaries for success were able to work autonomously and to speed up their decision-making radically to outpace the decision-making of the enemy. And so that's going to be important for all businesses in the future because the battlefield of business looks a lot like that battlefield that McChrystal dealt with in Afghanistan. Another thing that's going to be extraordinarily valuable is what's now been called a global mindset. The global mindset is the ability of an individual to work seamlessly across borders, to be comfortable in different cultures and working with different languages even, and to take multiple perspectives and to be inclusive. So the positive aspects of DEI initiatives, diversity, equity, inclusion, are going to need to be second nature for global leaders. And organizations will embed that. And research has shown definitively that diverse and inclusive environments outperform undiverse and non-inclusive environments. So a global mindset. And this becomes, again, a mental model that becomes second nature. It's not a strategy. There are strategies and there are structural things we do for DEI. I'm talking more about what happens on the inside of an individual who is working in a global organization. And any organization now is global, even if you're a small 12 to 15 person organization like Unbeatable, we have coaches and clients in over 30 countries. You don't have to have an office in over you know, 30 or 40 countries any, anymore because we're all virtual. So you have to have a global mindset. So more on this, this is going to be a fascinating subject. I um, went back to get my doctorate simply to study this and to really go deep on this. And I'm going to be working on trying to ferret out how do you develop what I call an exponential mindset, which is inclusive of a creative mindset, an innovation mindset, an adaptive mindset, an emotionally mature and aware mindset, global mindset. And it takes all of those aspects of a leadership, of leadership skill, transformational growth, all that, and it 20Xs it, much like a Zen master who's attained Satori. We want to develop leaders who attain that kind of exponential mindset, which is akin to the old world view of enlightenment of a spiritual master. So we're going to democratize leadership enlightenment. Let's just say that. And it's going to be amazing. And it's also going to be absolutely necessary for us to deal with what's coming with AI and robotics in particular, and the chaos and confusion created by the forces of negativity, which strive to confuse and to create fear and to separate us and to um, keep us from tapping our full potential as individuals and as a global population. Okay, so how does this all now relate to veterans? Well, let me um, talk a little bit about vets and also a little bit about what we're doing for vets here at our nonprofit called the Courage Foundation. So veterans are, I think, the golden nugget that everyone is ignoring when it comes to leadership and organizational effectiveness. According to the Department of Labor, 200,000 military vets transition off active duty and the reserve force back into civilian life every year. Get that, 200,000. And guess what? Everyone treats these individuals as broken. Well, they are not damaged goods, as our former Secretary of Defense and four-star General Mattis says, we are not damaged goods. In fact, we hold the key to leading in the conceptual age. Why is that? Well, when you lead in the most intense and chaotic environments in the world where a team focus, a mission focus, situational awareness, Global mindset is absolutely critical. 
then you tend to develop those skills. You bake them into your psyche. You don't even know they're being developed. And these are skills that we all need to develop and learn. And these military veterans can lead us. Military veterans have incredible situational awareness. When you're in combat and you know that at any moment someone could be taking a beat on you, a sniper or a a mortar round or a roadside bomb, you tend to become extremely intuitive and extremely aware. Your right brain comes online, that contextual awareness, and you begin to sense and feel things that the average person doesn't feel. Now, those skills will diminish when you're outside of the environment, but once they go online, you can keep them online with just a little bit of training. And vets can teach us how to do that. And we do that same training through our sister company, SealFit, we call Leading Under Fire. So if you want to learn some of these skills, then check out our website at unbeatablemind.com or sealfit.com and you know, come to one of our events next year. We'll teach you situational awareness. The next skill that's incredibly valuable in the age of um, concepts or conceptual age is rapid planning and iterative operations. Rapid planning and iterative operations. So rapid planning is, I've talked a lot, a lot about this in the context of my work with the way of the seal, is it's the ability to plan very, very fast with an 80% solution, knowing what's important and what's not important, knowing what can become SOP or standard operating procedure and what needs to be customized for every operation, and also training for failure so that you know that 80% is good enough because no plan survives contact with reality. Anyhow, so let's get out the door and activate the OODA loop so we can observe, orient, make a decision, and then act. And in that way, you take all these small micro actions on your way to success and you learn on the fly. That's iterative execution. So planning, rapid planning and iterative execution go hand in glove. And military leaders know how to do this. Military veterans know how to do this, especially special operators. So we're conditioned and accustomed to thrive in VUCA, to expect volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, and not have to have it be like a big showstopper. Part and parcel with that is military veterans are extremely adaptable. They're able to recover very quickly from a setback. For instance, if a mortar round comes in or, or you're ambushed, you know, you're going to get off the hex, get out of the danger zone, you're going to return fire, you're going to clean up the mess, you're going to deal with, compassionately with any wounded, hopefully that doesn't happen, And then guess what? You carry on with the mission or you move on to the next objective. You're adaptable. So think about that in the terms of how valuable that is for your business and how to learn that. Resilience and adaptability almost are hand in glove. I mentioned this earlier, but veterans are extraordinarily mission focused. In fact, that's one of the challenges they face when they leave service is that they don't have a mission anymore. It's almost like without a mission, why am I here? They need a mission. So you give them a mission. And boy, will they be loyal to the end, to complete that mission. They're all in, all the time, offensive mindset. That energy is infectious. And what else about mission that they know is that a mission, A, it can change and evolve. The end state can look different than you think it might in the beginning. So they're comfortable with that. They understand that a mission needs to be communicated relentlessly and it needs to be clear in the minds of all teammates. So we talk about the mission all the time. We brief it, we brief changes, we uh, dirt dive it, which means mentally rehearse it. Leaders talk about the mission and the vision all the time so that there's no confusion in in your team's mind, your staff's mind, what is our mission? Everyone knows. Wouldn't it be nice to have some military veterans in your organization who are that way? 
Another really important skill for the conceptual age is that they're all leaders and followers. There's no big egos. In the civilian world, you know, you almost get your ego reinforced through success as an entrepreneur or business leader. Your resume building up the ladder, right? you are building your capital, so to speak, not financial capital, but th- though you're building that as well, which often promotes the ego. But military vets, they don't care about the money because it's a meritocracy. What they care about is the team and the mission. So mission first, team second. So they're radically focused on the team, which means they are both leaders and followers. At any moment, they could be the leader, and the next moment, they're a follower. So they're not hung up on positional authority or expert authority. Their expertise is going to be used, and if they're not the most expert, then they can support the most expert person. And oftentimes, it's the best idea comes from the new guy or the least experted one. I just created a new word because they're looking at it from a different perspective, and their voice is heard. Incredibly valuable skills. Here's another one. Persistence. Military vets don't quit. They never, ever quit. That's in the SEAL code. They're persistent. They keep going, overcome one obstacle and then another and then another. Just knock them down until there is nothing to stand in your way. What a valuable skill, something we don't see much in our world. Another is they're patient and compassionate. Think about that. When you watch friends of yours get injured or die, I mean, the compassion that is trained into or accrues, I should say, into the military veteran is incredible. I have friends who've been to 30, 40 funerals. Compassion is one of the core skills, in my opinion, that leaders need to develop in the conceptual age. And how do you be a good teammate? And how do you become a team of teams? And how do you serve your teammates? And how do you be authentic if you can't develop compassion by opening your heart and getting out of your head? Feed the courage wolf, which is in your heart. Starve the fear wolf, which is in your head. And patience. I can't tell you, you know, military life is like 23 hours and 30 minutes of waiting around and then 30 minutes of sheer terror. So, oh yeah, we know patience. And so not only can we move fast and be agile and adapt on the fly, at the same time, we're not belly aching when we have to sit around and wait for something to develop. So we're patient. We like to see things come to fruition over time and we're okay with that. Another incredibly important skill is creative problem solving. You know, that TV show MacGyver was based upon the Navy SEALs as, a, as kind of a, a metaphorical character. And that's because we were taught to solve problems with whatever it was that we had. A little rigorous tape, a little 550 cord, a buckle here and there, whatever. We created a couple of industries out of this. My friend Mike Knoll from Blackhawk created an the tactical backpack industry. As a parachute rigger, he had to sew a lot and he started sewing his own gear and he made his own backpacks and he made his own web belts and he made everything. And guys said, hey, can you make that for me? And, and then he had a little cottage industry going. Then he got off SEAL Team 3, left the service and he started Blackhawk. And man, I think he sold that for a billion dollars. Incredible. And spawned countless spinoffs. We're creative problem solvers. Look at my friend Randy Hetrick, who created TRX. Now, When we used to go out on ships, Randy would, again, going to his riggers, would have them sew up some straps, kind of like the old yoga hanging straps they used to do hanging yoga. And he used these to do push-ups and pull-ups and dips while they were out on a boat because, you know, there's only so many push-ups and sit-ups you can do on the deck, which has got that really nasty kind of thick, sharp, no-skid paint, I guess it's called. At any rate, so he created 
that innovative, he saw a need for it and he created another, what will be if it's not already a billion dollar industry. Military vets are very, very creative. They're used to solving problems with limited resources using whatever's available. That's an important skill for us in the age of concepts. And lastly, I'm going to come back to this idea of a global mindset. You know, I was in 56 different countries and I learned that everyone on the inside has the same fears and aspirations and desires, regardless of what the skin color or the shape of the eyes or the language coming out of someone's mouth was. Yes, there's different cultures and we can learn from every culture and embrace them and we can disdain the nasty effects of certain cultures including, or, and we can honor the beautiful aspects of each culture. But the important point is to learn that if you're in that culture and that's normal to you, that doesn't make you a bad person. You know, so let's learn from each other. Let's recognize the sameness, appreciate the differences and come together to solve global commons issues and challenges. It's probably a whole nother discussion what those are and how we do that. So I'm not going to go into that now, but the point is military veterans, military people have a global mindset. So already they've got one of the most important attributes for leadership in the 2020s and beyond. So you know my thoughts on leading in the conceptual age, what skills will be important, and why 200,000 veterans a year are primed to help us all move into that, into that leadership model. Now, let me tell you about the challenges vets have and one of the reasons why they're not seen as the leaders that they are, and it's a mistake. One of the hardest parts of military service, as you know, is transitioning, coming home, getting out of that intense culture, that uniformed culture where you're developing those skills and qualities that I just described, and then you come back, you take the uniform off, you give up your paycheck, you give up your team, you give up your mission. And you don't get much in the terms of any transition skills training, although that's changing. And suddenly you're sitting at home going, okay, what next? And someone says, go get a job. Okay, well, great. You know, what am I going to do? So the military special operators tend to do really well as a general rule because, you know, we're trained a different way in a sense. We're more entrepreneurial. We have a lot more autonomy. But a lot of military vets who still have all those other skills that I talked about, they don't have those, that leg up. And there's nobody there to help them. Well, there is now. And I'm going to tell you about it in a bit. Furthermore, there's some reconditioning that needs to happen because of the stress and the, the mental and physical challenges that a lot of vets face, especially if you've been in combat. Post-traumatic stress symptoms, TBI or traumatic brain injury, sometimes permanent disabilities. Also, I mentioned already loss of their team, loss of their structure, i.e. the uniformness, the paychecks, you know, the rules, the regs. That gets comfortable. It becomes part of what I call their background of obviousness. They don't know it's there until it's missing. They lose their purpose and mission. Furthermore, on the flip side of that, when they get into the civilian world, you know, they haven't been in it, at least for a long time. And so they're unfamiliar with the written rule or the unwritten rules. And they don't necessarily even know how to build a resume. Uh, they don't have the interview skills. They may not have the perceived right education, even though their education and their skills are much more valuable, like I said, in my opinion as leaders. And oftentimes their family is broken. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I had my teammates come home to a family that had left them, drain their bank account or whatever. And it was devastating. So you see that quite a bit because the toll that all that time away takes on the family is devastating. So veterans struggle to make that transition home. But mark my words, they're not damaged goods. They're a national treasure. 
And one of the challenges they face is they get home and people pity them and marginalize them. And this is a huge disservice, huge disservice. If you see a vet, thank them for the service and ask them what their mission is. Do not pity them. Do not marginalize them. Do not think they're broken. They are a national treasure. There's only so much that the VA and the DOD can do. Fortunately, many VSOs or veteran service organizations have stood up, founded by veterans like myself, to fill the gap and to help these vets transition and become leaders in the conceptual age. Because we know how valuable these individuals are and we know they're not broken. We know they just need some fundamental skills and then they'll accelerate as leaders. Our organization is called the Courage Foundation and uh, we have partnered with 10 other veteran service organizations that are focused on post-service empowerment and reintegration. We're going to provide assistance to the vets before any situation caused by the mental and physical health issues that they dealt with or the loss of team structure, purpose, and mission worsens and leads to what we see in the stereotypical veteran situation. Alcoholism, addiction, homelessness, depression, suicide. These are big problems. We want to solve them. Some of you remember or may have heard that we created an initiative called Burpees for Vets where I challenged anyone who was paying attention to what I was doing, and it may have been you, so thank you. I challenged people to do 22 million burpees with me and raise money and awareness for vets. And it took us a year and a half to do this. Many of you did more than 100,000 burpees with me in a year. So I did 100, 120,000 burpees, a little bit more than that. And uh, I think I raised like over $30,000 myself. The organization, Burpees for Vets Courage Foundation, we raised over $300,000. We broke two world records. One individual broke the world record for most number of burpees in 12 hours as an individual. And then myself, two other guys and three women, ironically, all of us yoga instructors as well (laughs) as pretty fit individuals. We destroyed, I should say, the world record for most number of burpees done in 24 hours by a mixed gender team. The old record was 14,000 and something. We did 36,393 burpees in 24 hours. By the way, Guinness is still digging out from COVID and they haven't certified that, but I'm claiming a world record here and now. And Guinness, get your act together, please. All right. So this year, though, we decided to resurrect the Burpees for Vets into a viral social media campaign. I'm recording this on November 10th, 2021. And on November 11th, tomorrow, which is Veterans Day, we're running a seal fit event for veterans, for Burpees for Vets. We've got 20 plus individuals coming from spec ops candidates to firefighters, law enforcement, and some influencers. And it's going to be filmed by NBCLX live. Live coverage begins at 9 a.m. The event begins at 7 a.m. and runs for six hours. So it's essentially a short version of our Kokoro camp. And um, all the participants are in it for free. They don't pay anything. And in the middle, we're going to do the Burpees for Vets initiative. Now, this is an initiative that you can do on your own, and it's running all month long, and it might even extend beyond November. Information can be found at burpeesforvets.com, burpeesforvets.com. And here's all it entails, is you go to burpeesforvets.com, you make a donation, it's $11. That's it, $11. And then what you'll do is just do 11 seconds of burpees and film yourself. So film yourself doing 11 seconds of burpees. It's probably like six. That's all I got with a full burpee. You can also modify with plank burpees or you can do, if you can't do a burpee, you can do squats. 
you can do anything. The point is to engage everybody. You can do jumping jacks or push-ups, etc. Then the main point is you take that video and at the end of it, you challenge three people that you know and choose some folks who've got some followers, right? Challenge three people you know, post the video to your Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or whatever, Twitter, whatever account you prefer, LinkedIn, YouTube, or all of them, and hashtag those three individuals challenging them to do the challenge. Now, you know, let's talk about compounding. So those three do it and do, you know, pass to three. Now, you know, we have, let's see, three plus three, so, I don't know, whatever. There's nine, 10, 11, 12, plus me, 13 people donating $11 and doing their burpees. And then on from there, right? And you've heard, you know, if you double a penny every day, how much money do you have at the end of 30 days? It's $1.6 million. So can you imagine us having 1.6 million people doing burpees and donating $11? Can you imagine what we can do for vets? If we raise 10, 11, 12, $15 million, just $11 at a time. Why do we want to do this? Is it worth 11 seconds? Or let's just say, let's call it a minute because it'll take you a little bit of time to post it. Is it worth a minute of your time and $11 to transform a broken system for transitioning our heroes, treasures for leadership of our country in the age of concepts and VUCA? Is it worth one minute of your time? And you can imagine what would happen if we can raise 10 million or more dollars and how we can help an entire generation of vets become the leaders that they deserve to be. So I hope to see you there, burpeesforvets.com, feedcourage.org, it's the Courage Foundation. You can check out the um, live stream uh, if you learn about it in time. And um, as always, we really appreciate your support. I appreciate you for listening to the Unbeatable podcast. and. Um, Stay focused and be unbeatable. See you next time. Divine out.